Hi everybody, my name is Michael Domingue and welcome to Strange Tales of Myth and Magic. In this podcast, we're going to explore mythology and magic and fairy tales and wives tales and maybe some snake tales. We'll take a peek at some of the strange legends and stories throughout history and how they affected culture and how they affected me as an artist. So sit back and let me tell you a story. This week's episode, Celtic Vampires or Waking the Dead. So, are there vampires in Ireland? Well, I'm I'm sure a vampire specialist would say, yes, of course, vampires are everywhere. I, I think really the nature of the question, though, is do vampires come from Celtic lore? Is it part of their culture? Um, that's sort of the question we're going to debate and, and analyze to see if vampires actually existed in ancient Irish legend. So right now there's actually a big debate. Oh, and it's a serious debate um, about whether or not Bram Stoker got his idea of Dracula, the main character, the main villain um, from the Romanian prince, Vlad the Impaler, or if actually it came from his home place. His Dublin is where he is where he came from. So that's the big debate. And it's hotly contested. You know, there's the Romanian side and there's the Irish side and ooh, they're duking it out. In fact, one of the bits of evidence that point towards an Irish root is the word Dracula. And I'm saying it kind of like Dracula, but it's spelled vastly different. It's actually spelled D-R-E-A-C-H-F-H-O-U-L-A. And that's um, ancient Celtic. And what that is supposed to mean is tainted blood. So there are some who say that the name Dracula didn't come from Vlad, that it actually came from that Celtic word. Now, one of the sources, uh, one of the stories that is said to have influenced Bram Stoker is the legend of Abertach. Now, Abertach um, was a king or a Celtic chieftain. It's it's kind of uncertain. And in some cases, is actually a wizard. Okay. So, um, but Abertach, the name actually means dwarf. So perhaps Abertach was smaller in stature, or perhaps that actually meant something else. It, it's not entirely clear. But but the legend of Abertach is that he was a terrible tyrant, a horrible, horrible king. He was just, I, he, he pretty much sucked. So if pretty much if there was something terrible to do, he would do it. And he would inflict this on his own people, left, right, and center. And, you know, as I said, he sucked. Eventually, after causing, you know, years of, of misery and mayhem, um, a nearby chieftain actually slays Abertach. Now, when Abertak is buried, um, he's actually buried standing up, just, you know, as if he's, you know, standing. Um, and this part's a little unclear to me. I'm not entirely certain as to why um, he was buried this way and might mean, you know, some sort of disgrace or, or something. But regardless, there he is standing up under the under the grave. The problem is, though, is that um, not long after he's buried, um, Abertak is seen roaming around, roaming his own, you know, his own neck of the woods, doing all the nasty things that he used to do. If he used to do it in life, now he's doing it while he's dead. But, but that's not all, because Ambertag is now also drinking blood. I mean, you know, if, as if it wasn't bad enough before. So the neighboring chieftain comes back to town and, um, you know, he, he, you know, needs to kill Abertach again. 
And so he does. Uh, the evil tyrant is put back in his grave once again. And then, not long after, guess what? He's back doing nasty little things. Well, um, once again, the chieftain rolls in, kills Abertak. Now, this time, though, um, he decides to consult with a druid and says, look, you know, I killed this guy. He keeps coming back. Um, what am I going to do? And so the druid says, okay, uh, this is what you need to do. You need to bury him upside down. And then you need to put on top of his grave some stones. So when you think of stones, think of like the old Celtic stones, you know, like Stonehenge and, you know, that sort of stuff. So these are sort of sacred stones. And so put that on top of the grave. So he did that. He then planted some thorn bushes for a little bit of extra insurance. And sure enough, Abertach stayed put. Now, if you find yourself in Northern Ireland and you go to the County Derry, um, you can actually find what's said to be Abertach's grave. And it's called the Giant's Grave. That's what it's called. And there is a hawthorn tree. And you'll see some of the stones that are said to be keeping Abertok down beneath the surface. But the story doesn't necessarily end there, because actually it's said that in 1997 there was a development in that area and some workers went to chop down the tree and move the stones. Except there was an accident. Um, a chainsaw being used cut off one of the hands of the workers. And of course, his blood dripped down into the soil. So it seems that Abertok found a way to feed himself after all these years. In 2007, in an area called Knockvicker, Ireland, um, a couple bodies were discovered. And after a bunch of carbon dating tests, they actually figured out that these bodies were from about 1,300 years ago. Now, there was something really peculiar about these bodies, because these bodies had stones, big black stones, jammed into their mouths. Now, this caught the attention of archaeologists, because this is not a usual practice for, for this area for this time. And this sort of burial is kind of like with the um, evil dwarf. These were types of burials that imply that there was something supernatural going on. And when you find bodies with stones in it like that, it usually implies maybe they thought they were vampires or revenants, which are kind of like walking dead. And in culture to culture, this will vary how you keep these, you know, these vampires down. In some cases, you nail them to a coffin. In some cases, it's like stones, you know, and in this case, stones in the mouth, stones on top of the grave. But the idea is basically figure out a way to keep them down in the earth so they don't mess with the living. Now, this brings us to another legend. Um, this one is called the Legend of the Dergudu. Now, the Dergudu are a type of vampire that, that are usually considered attractive, um, male or female. Um, I've heard various legends, so male or female. Um, and um, they're seducers, um, they, you know, sort of like the sirens. They sort of lure you into a state of, ooh, you're so beautiful, and then they pounce. Now, the original legend of the Dirgdu, um, which basically translate as Red Bloodsucker, at least in some translations, this involves a beautiful 
beautiful young woman with beautiful blonde hair and green eyes and ruby red lips. You know, kind of sounds like the standard fairy tale sort of sort of gal, doesn't it? But, you know, this tale actually kind of reminds me a little bit of Princess Bride. It's kind of like a, a gothic horror Princess Bride is what it's like. And it's like Princess Bride with an evil father. Okay, there you go. That's it. That's it. With 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 a twist at the end. So the basic story is that you have this beautiful young girl. We'll call her Buttercup, in fact. And so young Buttercup, um, she's gorgeous, and you know it's time to wed. And so her father's busy trying to find a suitor. And meanwhile, though, she's actually in love with a young farm boy. Shall we call him Wesley? All right, we'll call him Wesley. So she's in love with young, handsome Wesley. Now, this goes against all her father's plans. You know, he's he's hot to get a good dowry for her. And so, you know, he's, you know, looking around town like, oh, there's a good one there and there's a good one there. And, and of course, she's just she wants Wesley. She wants the farm boy. Well, um, the father wins out and um, he finds a suitor. But he finds like a chieftain. He finds like the richest dude and the most powerful dude in the area. We'll call him um, Humperdinck or, well, okay, since it's an Irish telling of Princess Bride, we'll call him McHumperdinck. All right. So so she's set to be married to McHumperdinck. And of course, she doesn't want to. She's crying. She's saying, but father, I love, I love farm boy. I, I love Wesley. And father has nothing of it. And off to the altar she goes and she marries McHumperdinck. Now, farm boy, Wesley, is meanwhile saying, look, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get you back. I'll get you back. I'll get you back, Buttercup. Don't you fear. I'll be there for you. And so Buttercup has hope in her heart that young Wesley will save her, even though she's married to McCumperdick. So she gets married and things go from bad to worse. I, her father, he pretty much is done with her. He's He's got his little plot of land and the wealth and all that stuff that, that, she, that he got from the marriage. And he pretty much doesn't, you know, he doesn't say boo to her anymore. He's gone. He's, he's living his life. He's ditched her. Meanwhile, she's stuck in a tower. McCumperdink has her in this tall, tall tower um, that she cannot leave. And um, he just does nasty, evil, meany things to poor Buttercup. Now, his favorite thing to do is to, to cut her. He likes to cut her and he likes to watch the blood pool up on her pale, pale skin. And of course, her skin's very pale because she's never allowed to go outside. Now, of course, all she can think about is Wesley. Where's my farm boy? Is he going to come and rescue me? Where is he? Where is he? And she has hope and hope and hope. And so every day she hopes that Wesley's going to come. Wesley's going to come. Wesley's going to save her from this tower. But day in, day out, no Wesley. More torture, more bloodletting. And eventually she gives up hope. She gives up hope entirely. She's come to the realization Wesley is not going to come. And so she decides to do what, what she thinks her only option is, and that is to take her own life. And how she does this is a very slow process. And, and it's not entirely clear why she chose such a method, but, but she decides that she just would stop eating and stop drinking water. And so gradually, 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 she passes away. 
Well, Buttercup gets a modest funeral. Um, not very many people came. Her father didn't even come. Now, farm boy, Wesley, came. And, of course, he's feeling guilty and he's feeling sad. And, you know, why didn't I do it? And, you know, and he and, you know, and he sulks away. And, you know, so so he's no help. But the interesting thing is that for some reason, someone decided not to put stones on Buttercup's grave. Now, this is kind of a tradition as, as a method, of, like we talked about, of kind of keeping the dead down in their place. So you can't come up and interfere with stuff, keep the dead dead, let them stay down there. And um, for some reason, you know, maybe it was because, you know, people, oh, she committed suicide, therefore she's cursed, so she doesn't deserve stones. You know, I'm not entirely sure of the reason. But stones were not put above her body, which turns out to be a big mistake. And the reason it was a big mistake is on the one year anniversary of her death, as soon as the sun went down, Buttercup started digging her way out of the grave. Bit by bit, she clawed her way to the surface. And she had one thing in mind, revenge. This wasn't Buttercup anymore. This was a Dirk Du. This was a vampire, and this vampire had some scores to settle. First stop, she needs to go visit dear old daddy. So when she gets to her home, her family home where she was born, she finds her father asleep. And he's passed out by the fire, maybe a brandy in his hand, perhaps. And she approaches him and she leans over as if to give him a kiss. But there was no kiss. Instead, she sucked all the breath from him and he passed away. Well, she had another stop to make. This time, she headed to the tower, the tower that had so much misery for her. And she went to the top of the tower, and in there, she found McCumperdink. And there he is. Now, this time, he is surrounded by beautiful women. But the thing is, not by their choice. He's inflicting the same nastiness that he inflicted on Buttercup. He's bloodletting them. Well, Buttercup walks in the door, and she's beautiful, though she's a little bit disheveled because she's covered in mud and dirt from crawling out of a grave. But the women see her, and they scatter. Of course, her, her husband is, is a bit shocked, too. And, you know, she's, there she is. She's still beautiful. She's still gorgeous. But, but, but she's dead. He saw her put in the ground. And, and she puts her finger on his mouth as he was about to scream and then leans over to kiss him like she kissed her father. But this time, she not only drains McHumperdink of his life, but she takes every last drop of blood from him. Now, this is something new to Buttercup. She'd never really tasted blood before, and she liked it. And she liked it a lot. And she's like, wow, this is going to have to go on my to-do list. I'm going to have to do this more often. Well, she returns to the grave, and there she stays for another year. And then on the anniversary of her death, 
She once again rises from the grave, except this time she doesn't care who she gets the blood from. And now she's eternally beautiful. And so she uses those powers of seduction to lure people to her and drain them of their blood. Now, it's said that her thirst can only be quenched on the anniversary of her death. So as legend goes, the locals would gather on the eve of this anniversary and place stones on her grave to keep her from rising up, which it's said seems to have worked. So I I bet you didn't expect to hear a princess bride vampire story, did you? Well, it's more of a princess corpse bride, I suppose, what you might call this one. Now, one disappointment I have with this tale is that um, that is that she doesn't go after Wesley. You know, that seems like, you know, he deserves some vengeance, too. You know, I mean, a little bit, a little taste of her vengeance on him for not coming to rescue her. Now, granted, it could very well be in one of the the versions. I mean, I only came across, you know, a smattering of, of versions of this, of which there are many. So it could be that she went after him as well. So one of the arguments that are sort of circulating right now is that that, you know, these tales, you know, really historically weren't vampires. The argument is that it's all about um, a misunderstanding of the language and how certain words don't exactly translate as they do. So when they say dear do means, you know, bloodletting or blood sucking, it's not exactly right. So what the argument is, is that There were no vampires in ancient Irish lore. There were merely walking corpses kind of out for revenge. And and the whole blood thing was was added much later. And and so based on this, the idea that that Dracula was based on on ancient Celtic lore, it kind of goes out the window. Now, I, I tend to be in the camp that that holds that, yes, Bram Stoker was aware of Vlad the Impaler, the real Dracula, and because there are too many coincidences otherwise. So I, I tend to believe that. But that said, that does not mean that Bram Stoker wasn't influenced by his heritage. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe, yes, he heard about Vlad the Impaler, but maybe he decided to sort of meld that with, you know, some of the the stuff that he knew growing up, some of the the walking dead sort of creatures from, from Celtic days of long ago. Now, there is a definitive vampire story that comes from Ireland, though it comes from the, the late 1800s. So it's it's more modern, to be sure. It's certainly not ancient. Um, and this is about a young woman named Kate. And the name of the story is The Blood Drawing Ghost. So definitely vampires involved in this. So in this story, it um, our protagonist is Kate. And there's a, a young man in the county Cork who um, it's time to marry. A lot of these have the, it's time to marry, it's time to marry, son. And so it's time for him to marry and he has to pick. Um, But he's in love with three different gals. Now, in some versions of this story, it's their sisters. Um, I tend to like the one where they're actually from different families. And so um, Kate, um, you know, she's one of the gals he's he's thinking of marrying and and she likes him okay, but it's not her fave. But so John um, decides, well, I'm not going to just pick. I'm going to just give him a Task. And so what he does is he he takes a walking stick and he places this walking stick at the entrance of a tomb. And he says, OK, so um, after the sun goes down, um, 
any of you guys who bring back this walking stick, I'm going to marry you. Now, I'm guessing that, you know, maybe, you know, there's superstitious and, you know, scary monsters and that sort of thing. Um, But the first two gals, um, you know, she goes, nope. I'm out. I am not going to the cemetery at night. And the second gal, she's like, nope, I'm definitely not doing that. You know, there's that's not for me. And then Kate says, ah, what the hell? I'm going to go. And so she goes down there and it's dark and the moon's out and maybe wolves are howling. Ooh, you know, that sort of thing. And um, there's the stick. She sees it. She walks towards it. And all of a sudden she hears a voice, a muffled voice. Hey, you. Hey, hey, you. And she's kind of startled and she looks around and Kate's like, ooh, what was that? And she looks around and the voice goes, yeah, forget that stick. Come in here. Come inside the tomb. Come on. Hurry up. Get your butt in here. So as you can kind of tell, Kate's not, you know, afraid of much. And so she she says, ah, what the hell? I'll, I'll go inside. And she goes down into the dark tomb. And there she sees a coffin. And then she sees where the voice is coming from. Yeah, that's me. Uh, Open it up. Open up the coffin. Which she does slowly. And there she sees um, sort of a creepy, a creepy guy, a creepy vampire-y guy. Now, at this point, the, the vampire sort of casts a spell on her. And he says... Okay, now what I want you to do is um, I I don't walk very well because I'm dead. So throw me on your shoulders and um, I need you to take me out of here. And Kate does it, throws him on her shoulders and they go heading into the night. So the vampire tells her to take him to town and he says to her, "Okay, so we're going to find a house that doesn't have holy water and it doesn't have clean water. That's our goal for tonight. And of course, Kate being under the spell of this vampire, she obliges and they come to this one house and he's like, nope, that has holy water in it. Uh, She takes him to the next house. Nope, that has clean water in it. Next one. And they they kept doing this over until finally, finally, they uh, found a house that had no clean water and no holy water. And so they go in and everybody is fast asleep. And the vampire says to Kate, he's like, okay, put me by the fire, put a nice fire, get me warm, I'm a little chilly, and, and give me something to eat and something to drink. And Kate goes to the kitchen, and, and all she could find is some, you know, some leftover oatmeal. And she says, oh, okay, so here's some oatmeal, but, you know, the water's dirty, so I don't think you want to drink that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so what I need is a bowl and a razor. Grab that and take me upstairs. So Kate takes the vampire to a bedroom at the end of the hall and quietly they sneak in. Now, inside this bedroom are three young men, the three sons um, of this household. One by one, the vampire takes the razor and drains the blood of each of the young men, Kate holding the bowl as he fills it up. And then when he's done, he magically seals up their wounds. So it looks like no foul play. So the vampire goes back downstairs with Kate and they go to the kitchen and he says, okay, I want you to put the blood in the oatmeal and then grab yourself a plate because you get a helping too. The vampire rapidly devours his portion. Kate, maybe being slightly released from the spell, she sort of comes to her senses somewhat and, and decides maybe it's not the wisest thing to do. 
So, unbeknownst to the vampire, she starts spooning her portion ever so gradually into the napkin in her lap. When she's allegedly finished, she wads up the napkin and stuffs it in a little hole in the wall right by where she's sitting. Now, the vampire looks up from his plate and and sees that Kate's, you know, devoured her her meal. And he's like, hey, just to let you know, those dead boys upstairs, you know, if you had fed them your portion, they'd pop back the life. Ah, too bad for them. Now, at this point, the vampire takes a peek outside and, and sees that morning's not far off and realizes that, you know, they really need to get back to the grave. So Kate pops him up on her shoulders and, and then she says, you know, there's a shortcut through this house's field, the field behind this house. So maybe we should take that. Now, in this field are a bunch of, of stones, you know, like the stones, old, old druid stones, you know, of ancient times. So on the way back, as they pass through this field, the, the vampire starts pointing out these different stones, saying, hey, there's a whole bunch of gold under that one. Yep, there's some more gold under that one. There's a fortune in here. There's just tons and tons of money in this field. And then the vampire proceeds to tell her that they need to get back to the cemetery quickly, because once the cock crows, um, his spell will be lifted on her. So he said, hurry up, let's go. And so they finally get back. And all of a sudden, a cock, cock and Kate's like, oh, OK, so I guess that's it. I guess I have to drop you off here. And the vampire says, nope, that was a bastard cock. That one doesn't count. So she takes him a little, little the cemetery a little bit further once again. Another cock goes, she goes, okay, I guess this is it. And he's like, nope, that's also a bastard cock. That one doesn't count either. And then as they're entering the tomb, another cock goes, and she's like, now, all right, that one's real. Okay, I, you, you, you got to go. I was hoping we could spend, you know, some time. You could come and, and, you know, hang out with me. But all right, you're free. See you later. Thanks. Now, Kate hurries back to her home and, and sneaks in, you know, as to not wake up her parents and and gets to bed. And all of a sudden there's a big commotion, a big commotion. You know, her mother's running around the house frantically. Her father's running around the house and, and they're screaming because, you know, it's like, oh, the neighbor's sons are dead. The neighbor's sons are dead. Um, Kate, you know, goes downstairs. They tell us, oh, they woke up and they found their sons. Ah. So Kate rushes over to her neighbor's house and she comes to the father and is like, Oh, I, you know, I'm sorry to hear about your sons. Um, but what, uh, what would you do if I could get your sons back? And he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I, you know what? That's not it. But my sons are dead. Uh. So no, no, no. What, what would you do? And he's like, I would do anything. I would do anything. I would give him anything. I could do good to get my sons back. And, uh. and so she goes, okay, if I can get your sons back to life, um, I'll make you a deal. Um, I'll marry your eldest one. And I want you to give me that little plot of land with all the rocks in it. He's like, ah, that's useless. Who would want that? Nobody wants that thing. Ah. But the father agrees to her terms. And and she sneaks up to the little hole, secretly grabs a little napkin filled with the oatmeal mixture, goes upstairs. And one by one, she feeds the young men the little mush. And magically, they come back to life. Father's ecstatic. He says, yep, marry my son, my oldest son, great. Oh, and here's the land. And of course, you know, she digs up all the gold and she and her new husband live happily ever after with a whole lot of moolah.
Now, I, I'm not really sure what sort of accent um, the vampire in that story had. It certainly wasn't Irish, but okay. So this story is, is you know, a bit more like the traditional vampire story. You got a, you know, corpse that's reanimated and it drinks blood. But, you know, could there be vampires that don't drink blood? Could there be vampires that do other things? I, I know in film, there's the movie, I'm sure you've seen it, Captain Cronus Vampire Hunter. And in that film, which is by the, the same makers of Dracula with Christopher Lee and, and those guys in the 1960s and 70s, um, in that film, the vampires are actually um, youth stealers. So the vampires stay young and they steal their youth and then their victims die old and, you know, haggard and all that stuff. Um, there's another film that's sort of a sci-fi um, vampire movie that, that where their essence is is stolen called life force and it's alien vampires in that case. So, you know, it's not unprecedented and it could be that there's a version of soul sucking vampires in Ireland as well. And that one comes in the name of Lianan Sid and Lianan Sid is a fairy. And this fairy is not all malevolence though. She is a temptress. She is beautiful and she seduces young men, but what she offers is inspiration. So if you fall into her trance and become her lover, she will become your muse and you will create your most magnificent work. If you're a poet, your greatest poems will come forth. If you're an artist, your greatest paintings will come forth. However, however, what she takes from you, what she feeds off of is your life. So you will create all these magnificent things but you won't live long. So in other words, if you give her your life, she'll give you immortality. Now that sounds like something a vampire would do. For me, it doesn't really matter if the Celts had traditional vampires or not, nor does it really matter to me if, if Bram Stoker got his ideas from Ireland or, or from Romania. Because after all, a good story is still a good story. That's it for this week's episode, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to pop it again. There's going to be new tales of myth and magic popping up in the future. So uh, tell your friends. That's always helpful. And um, if you're interested, stop by my website, www.michaeldebing.com, and you can see some of the artwork that I create that might relate to what we're talking about. And if you want to delve a little further into the topic, I'll have blog posts that relate to each of these podcasts. So until we meet again, I'll be missing you.